Hi everyone, and welcome back to another fabulous episode of Nightmare Now, the show where we brave brutal books and bring out blasphemous bloody business for breaking up a banal bus rider business meeting. Hope everybody's having a great week. Mine's a little bit chaotic, but at least I don't have polio. Uh, my laptop switched the microphone part halfway through the original recording, so I went to edit and half of it sounded like I was screaming like a lunatic into a walkie-talkie in a tunnel, and the other half <laughs> sounded all messed up because I was using the wrong microphone. The audio is beyond my capabilities to repair without summoning some kind of audio demon, so here we are talking about a cursed media. Again but not for you guys. It's still the first time for you, so whatever. So I think for now I'm actually going to move release days to Thursday morning starting this week. I hope to eventually get to the point where I can do the research synthesis turnaround a lot faster as I streamline the workflow for the show. But for now, I think doing the show on weeknights is going to help with the consistency of release and quality and my sanity a lot more than procrastinating with the homies on the weekend and then trying to outline, record, edit, and promote all on Monday night till 3 a.m. So keep an eye out next Thursday for next week's show. We've got some real cool stuff to talk about, and I think that's more than enough housekeeping stuff for today, so let's just dive right into it. Today we're talking about a crazy little thing called anthropodermic bibliopagy. Anthropodermic bibliopagy. If you're up on your Latin or your history, you may be able to figure out what that means, but if you're not, it's the lovely art of bookbinding with human skin. A practice with a wide-reaching and surprising history. My main source today is the lovely coffee table book I received as a gift from myself, The Madman's Library by uh, Edward Brooke Hitching. Luckily or unluckily, depending on who you ask, The Madman's Library is just bound in regular old paper, whatever, cardboard paste stuff they use to bind modern books. It's really cool. Basically, Hitchings was the son of an antique book collector and from a very early age fell in love with books, especially rare, unusual, and unique books. Within its pages, he collects and references hundreds of such books, including ancient religious texts, giant, dusty codices, bestiaries, grimoires, and more. You could do a whole podcast on weird books alone, so we'll definitely be coming back to this one and talk about maybe the bestiaries or something like that. One chapter in particular I want to highlight in our first foray into literary curiosities is the one entitled Books Made of Flesh and Blood, which immediately caught my eye. It starts off innocuous enough, with traditional books bound in cowhide or rabbit fur or snakeskin, things like that that were common practice since the dawn of bookbinding. From barely worked tanned hide to elaborate ornate skin designs, there's a whole spectrum, but specifically we're looking at the darker, more horrific end of that spectrum, where you'll find books bound in human skin. But we wouldn't be covering it on a sh- but we wouldn't be covering it on the show at all if I 
I mean, you, the disturbed listener, didn't want lovely, literally handcrafted journals. I mean, made from hands, by hands, from hands. Perhaps with a tasteful nipple skin latch to keep your embarrassing thoughts about your crush truly secret from prying eyes. Ed Gein would probably have a couple of these lying around if he could read or write. So what would possess somebody to do this exactly? Well, for one thing, it's a hell of a conversation piece. And it sends a hell of a message to boot. Oftentimes, a book bound in human skin was a list of the misdeeds of an executed criminal. It was sort of a punishment beyond death for the convicted, and it saved a goat or cow. Isn't that nice? You had the accounts of murderers' crimes bound up in the murderer's own flesh, which is metal as fuck, and probably houses some insanely bad juju. It wasn't just murderers, though. For example, you had traitors getting the same treatment most of the time after death. It wasn't just murderers, though. For example, you had traitors getting the same treatment, most of the time after death. Speaking of treatments, that's actually a pretty good segue. How do you take human skin and make it suitable to cover your fifth grade textbooks? I used to just use, like, brown paper bag, but, you know, you can get fancy with it, I guess. Apparently, there were two main ways of getting the skin ready. That's, of course, after you have the skin of the person. I can't really get into the pre-treatment because, well, there's more than one way to skin a person. If I reveal how many I know, I feel like I'll get some calls from the FBI. Anyway, once you have the skin, hopefully humanely sourced, you could soak it in lime water, take off the hair and chunks and goop afterwards, and just go to town with tannin compounds to tan the hide. The alternative is to just go the full foul bachelor frog route and blast it with piss. A surprisingly versatile tool any problem solver needs in their metaphorical toolbox. The ammonia dissolves all the fiddly little chunks and pubes and guts, and gets it ready for stretching and drying, And if you're feeling real fancy, you want a nice sheen and luster on the cover of your new human skin book, all you have to do is give it a rub down after the piss bath with a nice rustic stain varnish cocktail made by mixing dog dookie, bird poop, and water. I mean, if you're going to do it, do it right, I guess. There's some great stories in here about notable examples of these books and the people that made them and also the people they're made out of. The first one actually goes back to a previous episode, the one on Robert Liston, so check that one out for more info. Alternatively, if you've got a time machine, skip ahead a few months till when we do a deeper dive on Burke and Hare, Resurrection Men, and the Body Snatcher arms races. But the short version was that William Burke and William Hare were a pair of scumbag murderers with a get-rich-quick scheme that was basically just cutting out the natural death middleman out of the cadaver trade, murdering victims and selling the bodies for medical research. But when they were caught, partially thanks to our boy Liston, time me, gentlemen! Again, check that one out. Hare, I believe, got some kind of squealer, plea, immunity deal, or something to sell out Burke and get out of the hangman's noose himself. And because of that, of course, Burke wasn't so lucky. He was hanged for his crimes on January 28, 1829, 
and then immediately dissected and flayed. A fitting end for his crime spree of selling bodies for dissection. I don't remember that verse of Alanis Morissette's ironic. Hmm. They took the newly flayed skin and turned part of it into a wallet for the prison guard that kept an eye on him. And they took more of the skin to put a complete document of the trial and evidence of his case into writing in a neat little skin book that currently resides in the Surgeon's College in Edinburgh along with his skeleton. They really used all the parts of this dude, which again is a fitting end for this bastard. This practice pretty much fell out of vogue in the late 1800s. It, it wasn't really as popular to be skinning and tanning human hide anymore, at least not outside of Texas, that is. There was one other notable criminal skin book that a friend mentions to me when I brought up this topic. Thanks, Gabe. He called my attention to a book currently housed at the Boston Athenaeum called The Narrative of the Life of James Allen, alias Jonas Pierce, alias James H. York, alias Burley Grove, the highwayman, being his deathbed confession to the warden of the Massachusetts State Prison. <sighs> they really didn't care that much for brevity back then. Side note, there was actually a great chapter on weird book titles in the Madman's library here that make that one look like a haiku. So James Allen, a.k.a. Jonas Pierce, a.k.a. the Highwayman, etc., etc., was a highwayman. I guess that much is obvious, but whatever. He was in the state prison in Massachusetts and his health was failing. He wasn't on death row or anything, just kind of old and sick and in jail. He knew he was on his way out and wrote down his deathbed confession, but here's where it gets a little bit weird. His last wish was that when he died, they would use his skin to bind two copies of his fucking confession and memoirs. <sighs> One would go to his prison doctor that was taking care of him at the end of his life, and the other copy went to a John A. Fenno Jr. The story with him was that James Allen, being a highwayman, or maybe just a big Johnny Cash fan, it's kind of unclear, tried to rob this guy at gunpoint years ago, before he was in prison, obviously. And John was the only guy that he ever robbed that ever fought back or resisted. And James Allen found a weird admiration for that courage later in life. The highwayman, James, actually shot the other guy, John, but the bullet ricocheted off his suspender buckle or something and he survived. James Allen was so moved by this display of bravery in the face of certain death at his own hands that when he died, he had the other copy of his skin-bound confession presented to John Fenno Jr. You gotta imagine waking up to get the mail back in the day, walking out in your fucking bunny slippers, and the postman stops by and is just like, Top of the morning to you, Mr. Fenno. I gets me a parcel for you from the state prison. And you, you cautiously unwrap the string on the package. Your hands are trembling a little bit. And it's just the memoirs of the guy that tried to murder you, bound in his own skin with a little note that says, You got scroped, and I like the cut of your jib, laddie. Like, what do you even do with that? <laughs> thanks. Th thanks, I guess. And put it up on the shelf? 
Full disclosure, I don't actually know what's in the book, but I did find an internet archive link to the full book if you want to know more about that particular story. I'll throw that into the show notes at nightmarenow.com. Let me know if there's anything cool in there. It's uh, it's only like 40 pages or so. Later on, Fenno's daughter donated the book to the Athenium after her father died, and it has remained there ever since, and that's how I heard about it. This case was pretty well documented and was even proven to be genuine man leather by an organization called the Anthropodermic Book Project. They were another cool source for this episode, and they'll be in the show notes too, don't worry, Um, because these are the guys that test all those books via a process called peptide mass fingerprinting. This is a process where they take a tiny sample of the book, digest it with enzymes, and run the resulting digestate through a mass spec machine to compare the spectra of the peptides in the collagen in the skin from known values for mammals like goats, cows, deer, and humans um, against each other. For the non-lab science inclined, they basically turn a piece of the skin into juice, run their juice through a machine, and the machine says what animal it's from. Think um, think Karen from Spongebob dissolving seaweed to find out it's 50% sea and 50% weed. Kind of like the turtle from Finding Nemo. One book that was kind of funny was a book about pituitary issues causing gigantism and other hormonal abnormalities. And that was bound in the skin of a literal giant from a Ringling Bros circus standing 8 foot 6. There's not a whole lot of detail in the book on that particular case, but it's, you know, at least you keep the skin on theme with the topic of the book. That's kind of fun. Like I said, the whole human skin book industry kind of started to collapse in the late 1800s, but there are a few exceptions. This one's apocryphal, but apparently some lady had a book binder wrap up her and her husband's love letters to each other in her dead husband. And that was in 19, and that was in fucking 1958. Again, not a whole lot of detail on that one, but it's pretty recent. And I guess at least there's some kind of implied consent there. Like they had some uh, agreement that when one of them died, they would get it. It seems a little kinky to me, but whatever. Ugh. The earliest form of the practice is, of course, a Bible, dating back to at least the 1200s bound in the skin of a young woman and i've i've seen enough criminal minds to know that this shit probably still continues here and there to this very day another semi-famous yet non-criminal case was of a huge anonymous fan of camille flammarion a french author focusing on astronomy Camille commented on how soft and smooth this gal's skin was, and she was super into it. A real, I fucking love science type broad. This is your typical NASA t-shirt wearing, Neil deGrasse Tyson worshipping groupie type. That reminds me, I need to bully him on Twitter for talking (laughs) shit about UFOs the other day. Anyway... This chick was pale and glamorous, probably because she had tuberculosis. She was about to kick the bucket from the consumption, and her last wish was to have her skin donated to her favorite scientist personally, to be turned into his next masterwork. 
I guess there wasn't a whole lot of paperwork or government oversight in 1882 France because, and this is a direct quote, in accordance with her wishes, her skin was taken by the celebrated Paris physician, Dr. Ravoud, who delivered the roll of skin to Flammarion's residence himself. He told Flammarion he had flayed the marvelously attractive young woman, whose name he was forbidden from revealing, just a few minutes after she passed on. Unquote. That is fucked up. After that, a copy of Camille's latest space novel was bound in her skin, and there's actually a picture of it in the book. It's quite elegant. It's got a nice um, kind of black varnish to it. Weird. When I eventually release a Patreon or something so I can quit my job, I'll have notebooks in my own skin available to my highest tier subscribers in the event of my death. Seems like a fair trade-off, right? That kind of closes the book on notable cases of human skin books. I mean, there's a couple more here and there. Um, there's a copy of the French Constitution bound with the skin of a revolutionary, but uh, that one's, there's not a whole lot of information on that one, and it might be fake, but I don't know. But after we've covered the flesh, that's only half of the flesh and blood. That's right, you guys are lucking out today, because I have a whole second half of this topic. Books written in human blood this might be a little bit easier or harder to stomach for people based pretty much on how you feel about blood on the one hand you've got the fact that people didn't necessarily die to use their blood in the book although i guess you could say the same for skin in modern times with skin grafts or whatever but i i haven't really found any evidence of that that's that's pure random speculation on my part. But on the other hand, it's blood, and that makes some people flip out. If you're not into blood, you probably haven't listened this far. But also, now is your last warning for avoiding a whole lot of slicing, quills and fingers, and really metal manuscripts. If you gotta shut off the show, remember I'll see you on Thursday instead of Tuesday, because I really just can't do Tuesday anymore, FamilyM. I'm not fooling anyone saying that I'm going to be working on weekends, so it ends up being me up till 3 a.m. outlining, recording, and editing on Monday. Spreading those out over a few weekdays will lead to a much healthier mental state and workflow for me. Worst case, you can delay listening and play a Tuesday morning still. I've spoken with a few listeners, and it doesn't seem like this will be a big issue. And I'm also going to take this week to pull together the Facebook page because I've got family and friends asking for it. So Thursdays at 7 it is. I love you all. So if you can stomach the blood, here we go. Let's get into the second part of the show. What good are books bound with human flesh if they don't have blood running through their inky veins? We're talking books written in human blood. Now, again, depending on how you feel about blood, the books written in blood are generally less brutal than the ones bound in flesh, based simply on the fact that getting blood is a lot easier on a person than getting their skin. It's much less damaging to prick your own finger and write in blood than it is to have your back flayed. You're much more likely to survive the former. What you find in blood writing pretty often is monks. Is monks are monks? It's a weird grammar thing. We'll go with is. What you find is a lot of monks. Monks gonna do monk things, so a lot of times they would copy manuscripts in their own blood as a form of piety. They would slice their fingertips, make little cuts on their chests, or ugh, slice under the tongue. 
Didn't they do that on Jackass? That seems really painful. Not skinned painful, but definitely unpleasant. It seems like the lighter the blood appeared on the page, the more pure of heart the writer was. So that's a neat little metric to test yourself with. And test themselves they did, draining all the blood from their fingers just to get one more page done. There's some great pictures of these you can find online if you just search up, like, blood manuscript, I'm sure you'll find it, where you can actually see where on the page the coagulants and the blood actually started to make clots appear on the page and then trail off and become lighter until the next finger prick to get more blood ink. It's really fucking cool, in my opinion. Interestingly, some of the text that is copied in these blood manuscripts describes a pious Buddha ripping off his own skin for paper, using his own blood for ink, and snapping a finger bone just to have a quill. Like, bro, chill. I'll drive you to Staples if you need it. <laughs> but <laughs> you, can, you can see where they're getting the idea, I guess? <laughs> Just what they're copying down? Anyway, aside from monk manuscripts, of which there's actually a lot of these, there's a few more crazy examples I want to go through. One of the most interesting among them is Saddam Hussein's Blood Quran. This is absolutely the most notable recent addition to the Flesh and Blood books. In 1997, Saddam Hussein, as a nice little... 60th birthday present to himself, commissioned from a renowned scribe a copy of the Quran written in his own blood. I guess everyone goes through their rawr XD goth phase at different times. He said, quote, My life has been full of dangers in which I should have lost a lot of blood. But since I have bled only a little, I asked somebody to write God's words with my blood in gratitude, unquote. In a letter to the media a few years later in the year 2000. Reportedly, he was hooked up to exsanguinate around 27 liters of blood. Not all at once, obviously. That, <laughs> that, wouldn't, that wouldn't be good for you. To have that mixed with ink to write out the 336,000 or so words of the Quran. So after a few years, this was actually achieved. Whether or not it's actually all his blood is kind of up for debate, because that would make him super anemic. And, you know, he wasn't necessarily the most gentle dude to ever walk the earth. Um, but they did produce a Quran written in supposedly his blood, Needless to say, Saddam's I'm lucky to not be losing a lot of blood line really didn't age that well. The quote, war on terror clown fest started and we're going to kind of yada 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 all that. And by 2006, Saddam was executed for his war crimes. Interestingly enough, a fun side note here, I came across in the research on Saddam Hussein at books, that in addition to all the fucked up shit he did as the dictator in Iraq, he still had time to write four fucking novels, romance novels, about a medieval Iraqi leader falling in a forbidden love with a beautiful girl, allegorical to re represent the Iraqi people while he seduced her in spite of her husband, 
you can read him as the USA. I guess his RAR XD phase was longer than we thought. The others were um, historical fiction, and one included a particularly ham-fisted scene where the hero destroys two towers in the land of Christians and Jews. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to touch that one. I guess he's not exactly a role model, but it, you know, it really says something about making the time for your creative pursuits, even if you're um, busy with your job and responsibilities. So another thing that's kind of interesting about that, from my admittedly uh, limited understanding of the Islamic faith, is that it's blasphemy to produce such a Quran in this manner. But at the same time, it's another blasphemy to destroy a Quran, no, no matter how it was created. So the state of Saddam's blood Quran is in this, like, weird catch-22 where it shouldn't exist, but nobody also wants to destroy it. And as far as I can tell, now it's scattered in a vault in a Iraqi government building with a couple of state officials each possessing like a couple of keys like they have this thing locked down like it's a fucking nuclear code like you need three people to show up to unlock this it's pretty interesting anyway whew, really hope i didn't offend anybody there obligatory i love all of my listeners now moving on marvel comics i bet you weren't expecting them here huh did a limited run kiss comic in 1977 that they mixed in a vial of all the band members' blood into the red ink in the printing factory at Marvel. So that happened. It's a little bit more of a salacious, sensational marketing gimmick, but, you know, it's verified. They had a nurse there, they had a notary public there, so you know it's legit. <laughs> and um, it's kind of hilarious in its own right without me editorializing, especially if you're familiar with the more idiotic ways that KISS has merchandised. I'll put a link to the KISS casket in the show notes for the uh, uninitiated. Lastly, we've got one that isn't actually written in human blood per se, but the original copy is still involves death, still involves suffering... The original copy of The Fate of the Blendon Hall was a diary written about the harrowing shipwreck ordeal of the crew of the Blendon Hall by its captain, Alexander Grieg. The problem was that while a desk and paper washed up on shore like it was a friggin' cartoon, there was no ink to actually do any of the writing, so he had to keep a record as... It was part of his captain duties when, you know, they got shipwrecked and you have to keep some sort of order. So he had to make do with the next best thing. His 82-day, like, 50-fucking-page account of the survivors of the wreck, including the illustrations, was done entirely in penguin's blood. Damn, talk about unhappy feet. Shipwrecks, though, now that's a great topic. Hmm... Anyway, that's what I got, guys. It is good to be back. And sorry I skipped a week, but I think changing up the release is the best thing for me to do. It was totally arbitrary to begin with, and this will give me a couple more weekdays to get shit done instead of just doing my research on the weekend and trying to do all the rest on Mondays. 
Thank you all so much for all of your support. It really means the world to me. And I can't wait to keep the show going in perpetuity. For updates, show notes, memes, banter, or anything else you might need, check out nightmarenow.com for links to the rest of the socials. You guys are the best, and I'll see you on Thursday. Remember Thursdays. I'd say sweet dreams, but we all know it's only going to be nightmares now.